So today we're going to continue our look of Acts, but we're going to look at the whole chapter, uh, chapter 10. It's very long, uh, and so I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll read kind of a, a few, uh, nine verses or so, ten verses, I guess. Um, but let me just kind of paraphrase this for you, and then you can, um, you can go back. I would encourage you to go back and make sure that what I paraphrased is true. Um, and so what we see is this is after, last week we talked about Paul. Um, and so now we're talking about Peter. We're back to Peter again. Acts kind of goes back and forth a little bit. And uh, here we have uh, Peter. Actually, the story in chapter 10 begins, as you may uh, recall, with a, a Gentile, a Roman soldier named Cornelius. And he's in Caesarea. We're told he's a God-fearing man. That he's been praying and praying. And one time when he was praying, he had a vision. And in the vision, um, God basically says, I'm going to answer your prayers here. I want you to send three men to Joppa, where Peter is, a man named Peter. He's hanging out there with a guy named Simon the Tanner, and I want you to get him to bring, to come back here. And so that's exactly what happens. So those three guys, they start walking. As they're on their way, Peter goes up on a roof, as you may recall, and he begins to pray, and he has a vision. It's a vision of food, of animals that are non-kosher. And it comes down, and it says, take and eat. And he says, no, I never would do this. God, you know that. And it came down three times. This happened three times. And then finally at the end of it, in the vision, the Lord tells, uh, tells Peter, go down. There are men there. I want you to go down there and go with them. And so he, he goes down. Sure enough, there are those men there. And so he invites them in. They lodge there overnight. And then the next day, they walk to Caesarea where there is Cornelius. And Cornelius is there with uh, his friends and his family that he has gathered around and uh, and he says, well, why, you know, why, why am I here? Well, you know, Peter's asking. And, and so then, you know, uh, uh, Cornelius tells him even more about the particular prayer or the particular vision that he had. And, and so then, at that point then, Peter, much to his surprise, he begins to say this. Then Peter began to speak to them. He says, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And you know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all, and that message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And in the midst of this preaching, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit fell upon those Gentiles. Again, much to Peter's surprise. And Peter says, well, why should we not baptize them if they've clearly been touched by the Holy Spirit? And that is the word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. And we all say, thanks be to God, and let us pray. God, in this fascinating story of Peter and Cornelius and your Holy Spirit, breaking boundaries, Lord, moving into the Gentile world, much to the surprise of the disciples. We give you praise. We thank you, Lord, for the ways that you are continually, continually going beyond what we could ever have imagined. And we pray that you would give us the wisdom and the courage to do likewise. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So earlier this week on Tuesday, I was with a group of pastors, Presbyterian pastors, and we were meeting with a couple people from, uh, from the Presbyterian church who are in charge of new church plants. Now, um, I guess that's redundant, but of church planting. And uh, ZPC, of course, was a church plant back in 1983, I believe. And, um, and so there haven't been a lot of church plants, at least in our tribe, as they say, especially not in our area. So they were going around and trying to say, are there people here who would be interested in planting churches? And as a, as a part of doing that, they showed a video, showed three different videos of different church plants and what they were looking like. They were pretty fascinating. One was uh, in an area of Appalachia. I forget if it was Virginia or West Virginia. And, and, and the Presbyterian church there had shut down. They'd run out of people, so to speak. And but, but a group of other Presbyterian folks decided to come in, and, and all of a sudden they kind of changed things to be more in the culture of Appalachia, and, and all of a sudden things began to flourish, and it was neat to kind of see what, what the Lord was doing there. And uh, there was another uh, church in New Jersey, and, and outside the, the, the building of the Presbyterian church, a woman who belonged to that particular congregation saw drug dealers and prostitutes, and they were out there just always on the street corners, but they would never go inside the building. And so she decided, well, why don't we start something for them? And so she went outside of the building and began to develop a community and a church there with them, which was, was remarkable. And then the third one was out in California, and it was a, it was a, uh, a church that started in an RV um, um, kind of camp, if you will, full of kind of permanent folks and temporary folks. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you could see in the video, you could just see like the folks gathering around outside the RV and, uh, and this church that had begun to kind of flourish. It was, it was great. In fact, it's one of those things, you know these things, right? Where you watch these videos and you think, wow, that's great. We should do this, which of course is exactly what they want you to say. Now, I didn't want to be that guy, but I decided to be that guy anyways because there was something a little unsettling to me. And so I said, look, I don't want to be negative. Which means, of course, you're going to be negative. I said, but, I said, well, I understand this is PR and that's really important and it's great to see all those things. Here's what I want to know. I want to know, can you tell me about the difficulties in the midst of of all that. Can you tell me about some of the struggles that the pastors had as they were trying to plant this church? Because this finished product, it's all just a bit too pretty, it seems to me. And so Vera White, the one, the, the, one of the leaders there, she didn't seem too put off by what I had said. She said, well, yeah. The, the pastor of that church there in the RV camp, what, what you don't know, because the story's not there, is that is that maybe a decade or decade and a half earlier, she was living in New York City. She was living up in a penthouse um, in New York City. Her husband was a corporate attorney, and she was a model. They were living the high life. Everything was great, fantastic. They were living hard. They were partying pretty hard. And then in the midst of all of that, one of her friends invited her to a Bible study. And a bit like the Paul story that we've talked about before, or talked about last week, she decided to go to the Bible study. And she was amazed at the Bible study. And all of a sudden, after a number of studies, it seems to me, I forget the exact details, she, she began to become a follower of Jesus. Her life began to change, and her husband wasn't all that keen on it. He didn't like it. And so finally, well, this is, I'm done with this. And so they decided to get a divorce. And in the midst of the divorce, as what happens, all of a sudden some things came up. One of those main things being that they were hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt because he had a gambling addiction that she did not know about. Before you know it, all of a sudden she's without a husband, without any kind of means of income. And so she's in California where she has friends and she's living, couch surfing, if you will, between friends. 
Finally, she joins this church. It happened to be a Presbyterian church. She continues to follow Jesus. And as she begins to join that Presbyterian church, after a while, they say, maybe you have, we think you may have gifts to be a pastor. We want you to go to Fuller Seminary, where I happen to be doing some work right now. So she went to Fuller, and she was there for a semester, and she flunked out. Because she hadn't really been raised in the church. She didn't know that much of what was going on, and so she struggled. But, but, the, but the professors there at Fuller and the church, they began to support her. They said, no, keep going. And so she, she kind of kept going amidst that, even though she had flunked out the first semester. And it's a three-year program. I think they said it took her about eight years. But she finished. And then she had a vision, a literal vision, of, of, of the RV that she was going to buy. And of God saying, I want you to start a church right here in this place. And so she did. And for six months, she went around trying to get people to come to her worship service. And nobody ever came for those six months. And she had no idea what she was doing. She had never lived in a trailer before. She, was, she attached the water line to the sewer line. She was doing all these kinds of things, right, that, were, that were, she didn't know, right? And so finally, after six months, a few po- folks from the camp said, look, it's clear. You have no idea what you're doing here. So we're going to teach you. And so they did. And so they began to teach her. But out of that teaching, all of a sudden then, she began to have relationships. And it is out of that from which the seed of the church finally began to flourish. And after Vera had told us this story, I said, that's what I wanted to hear. Because I think all too often when we just kind of see the finished product of something and it's all beautiful and we see the way the Lord has worked and it's flourishing, we think that's exactly how things should always be. So that when we begin to follow Jesus and we're not exactly clear in the middle of it whether we're really hearing from the Spirit or not, but we know that we've taken a risk and we know that we're trying to follow Him, whenever things difficult things start to happen, like we flunk out of some place or we attach a water line to a sewer line or we're having relational difficulties or whatever it may be, if the only image we have in our head is the finished product of this is what it should look like, then we are bound to say we must not be following the Spirit of God. And I think that sometimes we are unfair to the early church, to people like Peter, because we assume that they knew throughout their whole time of living and doing this work that everything was going to work out perfectly. And they never had any questions or any doubts or any struggles. And that is not the case. In fact, I think that this passage in Acts, the reason why I wanted to do it in one fell swoop is I think it's a beautiful case study of what it looks like for us to listen to the Spirit that is not easy and to discern where the Spirit may be calling us as individuals and as a community. So let's look at this passage, kind of let's see what does Peter do for someone who doesn't know what's happening next? How does Peter, right? Remember, Peter wasn't reading Acts and said, okay, this is what I should do now, right? No, he did not know what was coming next. So what does Peter do? Well, the first thing he does, and I'm reticent to say it because I know as soon as I say it, you're going to say, well, yeah, duh, thanks, Captain Obvious. Okay, let's move on. But it's important, which is that he prays. Right? Now, the reason why I think sometimes that can be, people can dismiss that is because everyone says, well, yeah, of course, before any important decision, we pray. And what does that mean? It means that we sit there and we say, dear God, please give us wisdom. And then we go about making the right decision. Right? But that's not what Peter does. Peter gets up. I think this is significant. He goes up on a roof away from everyone else, and he creates both space and time 
in order to hear from God. That when we're talking about prayer, especially in difficult times, what we need, I think more often than not, is to create space and time to hear from God. I've shared before the reality is that if I really want to be with my children, when I go home, if I really, and I mean genuinely, engage with my children, more often than not, I have to go up into their bedroom. Because if I am in the living room, here's what happens, right? I hear my cell phone, and I think, ooh, I wonder who that is. I wonder if that's important. I see the television, and I think, I bet you there's a good game on. I see this massive clock that we have, and I think, man, time is ticking. When can we put these kids to bed, right? There's no better time than bedtime, right? I see my, my laptop, and I think, oh, I forgot those emails I needed to do. And I'm constantly distracted. But when I put myself in a different space, in their space, right? When I put myself there and I have time that I know I'm going to spend with them, I lose myself in my children. And I am fully and wholly with them. And I think that that is what we need to do more probably than we typically do when it comes to creating space for God. Now I know, I know you're saying, well, I'm busy and when I go around, I'm praying and doing all that. And sure, pray without ceasing. But I think especially in a time where we have so many distractions and when things are always, our phones are going off or this or that is happening, I think that one of the things in these times that we need to do is create actual space, whatever that may be for you, where you can get away and have time with God. And that's what we see Peter doing. Now, we talked about prayer back in February. One of the things that I said was, remember, there will be times, especially when you create space like that, when prayer is boring. And that that is okay. Remember the research that we talked about, how, how it said that boredom is actually really important, that one of the things that boredom does is it helps you to imagine things beyond what you see around you. Think about children when the television's not on and they just see a stick and all of a sudden they've come up with a miraculous game out of this stick, right? Think about Peter up there, right? All of a sudden he begins to imagine something he never could have imagined. What? Reaching out to Gentiles? What are you talking about? He imagines that because he's willing to get up and get away. And I think that boredom actually I think is okay and we need to get past kind of the shame of saying well I don't want to go pray because then I feel guilty because I get bored about it it's okay put yourself in that space in fact you may even get so bored that you fall asleep right this week I was going through my little BBC app and uh, maybe you saw this and and all of a sudden here this popped up this headline right here Pope Francis admits he sometimes falls asleep while praying now, I thought to myself, is this like a slow news day or something? I mean, why would they? But then I realized that, that apparently, I mean, this is scandalous to people. Oh, can you believe it? You fall asleep during prayer? In fact, I, the Pope even, I mean, he had to say, well, you know, 19th century Saint, uh, Saint Teresa, she also fell asleep while praying. It's okay. We don't need to feel guilty about that, I don't think. We don't need to, because we never know how in the midst of being awake or in the midst of starting to fall asleep or even as we are asleep, as we are going to sleep by praying about God and being in his presence, we never know how the Lord might speak to us in those times. So Peter creates this space and this time to be with God, but he also creates space and time in order to be with God others. And I think that's important for us to realize when it comes to discerning where the Spirit may be leading us. It's, it's easy to overlook this, actually, because it's not ex- 
explicitly in there, but one of the odd things about Luke is that Luke is always, he's like a travel agent that he wants us to know, like, oh, this is where they're staying this night, and, and these are the people with whom you will be eating. And Luke does this, right? Luke tells us that, 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 that Peter is with Simon the Tanner, right? In other words, Peter is not at the Motel 6. He is with Simon the Tanner. And then he, he tells us that when those three men came in, that he invited them, in, invited them in and that he provided them lodging, right? That they were there together, right? And even when he goes then to Caesarea, I didn't say this part, but when he goes to Caesarea, that he stays there for several days after Peter does, right? And what do you think is happening that night, you know, whenever, the, whenever those three had visited them there in Joppa, what do you think they're doing? They're not just sitting around the table and being like, so what's the weather like in Caesarea these days? No, they're talking about the visions that have been being had. They're talking about, well, what is God doing with you? And they're, they're talking about the move of the Spirit. They're talking about all these things, and they're gathered there together in order to discern together where it is that the Spirit might be leading them. It's critical for us to see that when we are trying to really follow Jesus, that inevitably these decisions, like with Peter, will not be made in a vacuum. This is not just kind of a decision that pops up. Rather, it becomes a part of the process that we do with others. I was in a meeting not long ago where there was one particular person who who was facing like a situation and, and, and didn't know exactly how to move forward. And it was like, well, I don't know which way to, or how to, how to handle this. And there just so happened to be somebody else in the group who had gone through the exact same thing. And so that person was able to come alongside the other person both that day and in subsequent days to help discern how can I best go forward. All of us have stories like that, I have a feeling. But here's what's important to see. We have to be intentional about creating that space to develop relationships with others to do that. I was in another group of pastors Thursday. It's a lot of pastor time this week. And, and so asking for prayers, of course, for the marathon. And so we were there, and they said that they'd been talking about a similar issue and said that one of the things that you have to do nowadays is that we have to formalize what once happened informally. Right? So, so Peter, right? I mean, uh, there, there weren't restaurants and hotels on every block, right? So he had to. They were just always together. But even, even just a generation or two ago, relationships happened more easily, right? We talked about this, right? When it got hot, you didn't turn up the air conditioner because you didn't have air conditioning. So what did you do? You went outside to the front porch, right? You went outside to the front porch, and there were other people who were on the front porch, or they were walking around. And so those relationships just happened more informally. It doesn't work like that now. So we have to do a better job of being, of formalizing those things that used to happen informally. It's why we have things like home groups. It's why I, we talk about inviting people into your home, because you have to do that, right? We have to do these kinds of things so that we can develop the trust so that when we are trying to discern the Spirit's leading, we have other people to bounce those things off of, to struggle with on those things. So we create space and time with God. We create space and time to be with others as we discern our way forward. But we also, I think it's important to see, we also need to be aware of something that oftentimes keeps us from making difficult decisions. A group of people Maybe all people, but especially people perhaps like ZPCers, we like to know the whole story. 
We like to know before we take step A, we want to know where is step Z. But not just that, we would also prefer, if you don't mind, to know B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. And if there happens to be like an A1, A2, B1, B2, B3, that's even better. We want to know exactly the step. Before we take that first step, we want to know where exactly is it that we're going and what are all the steps we are going to take to get there. Now, a part of that's our personality, and a part of that is because we are afraid of taking too big of a risk because we don't like to feel vulnerable. We want to know exactly what's going to happen. But Peter had really very little idea of what was going on. I mean, the story of Peter is great because, you know, he just goes up there and he's like having a dream and all of a sudden, you know, or all of a sudden as he's praying, something pops up. Well, what is this? I have no idea. What do you mean eat this? I can't eat that. What's that? There's three people down there. Okay, you want me to go meet them? All right, so he goes down and he meets them. And you know what he says when he meets them? Why are you here? Which means, what does he not know? Why they're there, right? He has no idea. So they say, okay, well, you want to come in? Yeah, let's come in. Let's lodge. And so they come in and then they chit-chat. And he's probably trying to figure out as they're chit-chatting what exactly is happening. But he doesn't figure that out because then they go to Caesarea. He's like, all right, you want to go to Caesarea? Sure. What am I going to find there? I have no idea. So he goes to Caesarea. And as he gets to Caesarea, he's like, hey, you guys know it's illegal for me to be here. You see some of his fear, but can I ask you, why am I here? He still doesn't know why he's here. And so then all of a sudden Cornelius begins to tell him these things. And so he's like, okay, well, this is what I'm seeing then. And as he's beginning to preach about how Jesus is Lord of all, all of a sudden, right, we're told the Spirit interrupts uh, Peter. And, and we see the Spirit. And so Peter says, well, if the Spirit's here, I guess we should baptize them. And that's exactly what he does. But he had no idea, right? If you had asked Peter, okay, 48 hours before all that, hey, do you think you're going to be baptizing some Gentiles? He would have told you that you were out of your mind. He never would have done it. But he decided to start taking one little step at a time, no matter the risk, no matter the vulnerability. And I think that that's pretty critical. I think that most of us, many of us, are nervous about doing that. We're nervous about making those kinds of decisions. I read this book the other day, or not the other day, a few weeks ago actually, and it said that oftentimes when you are following Jesus, you don't have a stadium light that is showing you the path. You have a mere flashlight. And you can't see very far, but you just kind of go. Now, now hear me. That doesn't mean that whenever you get to a decision or a fork in the road, you should always take the one that is most risky or most vulnerable, right? I mean, if someone, investor comes to you and says, hey, you can either invest in these CDs or in pay phones. That, you don't want to take the risk with that. Not, not good, right? But it does mean that perhaps more often than we would like to admit that with great frequency, we end up not taking steps because we don't think we have it all figured out. And perhaps the Lord is saying, just take one step and I will show you with this flashlight where you are to go next. Whenever I think about these kind of decisions, I oftentimes think about my own role uh, 
as a pastor, my own job, if you will, and kind of the history of it. You guys know much of this, most of you at least, and how I was a pastor in Chicago for six years. And towards the end of those six years, I began to feel a bit unsettled. Megan and I did, and maybe God was calling us someplace different. And uh, but I didn't know exactly where. And then just about that time, uh, an organization called Presbyterian Global Fellowship said, hey, would, you know, we've got this director position. Do you want to, you know, put your name in, throw your name in the hat? And I thought, no, I, I really didn't want to. I had no idea because I wanted to be a pastor. So I wasn't too worried about it. I didn't think that much about it. A few weeks had passed, passed on. And then all of a sudden, one Saturday morning, there I am. I'm at the church. I'm trying to get ready for the sermon the next day. And this song by the David Crowder band happens to come on. And it wasn't a new song. It had been out for a few years, but I didn't remember having ever heard it. And, and so I decided, you know, okay. So I started listening to it. And as soon as I listened to it, there was just something about me that changed. And so I, I hopped in the car not long after that. It was a beautiful day, as I recall. I drove home, and I looked up the video. And I, I let's see here. Yeah, let's just listen to like one minute of the video. Now, this may, it's coming out of left field for you, but I just want to hear it. I'm not going to go down the stairs because it would hurt too much. Let's watch that real quick. Send me aside A hint, a whisper Throw me light Cause I am listening Come break the quiet Breathe your awakening Bring me to life Cause I in there, the lines is, shine your light so I can see you. And I, I realized as I sat there and I listened to that, that that was exactly what I was asking for in that time. And, and I watched that. I asked Megan. I had my own estimate. I estimated that within about two weeks, I watched that video a hundred times. Megan said it was closer to 150 times. And what I do know is that our oldest, who was two years old at the time, was just going around the whole time singing it all the time because we listened to it so much. But that time, whether it was 100 or 150 times, was a time to create space, like we said earlier, and time for me to hear from God in that video. And, and as I began to do that, I realized more and more that, well, you know, maybe God is calling me to do this PGF thing. And, and so then I did the next thing, right, which is we began to talk to Meg. Meg and I talked forever about this. Like, well, is, this is this what this is? And then I talked to my friends, uh, my cousin and best friend Rusty and to another good friend Joel. And we, you know, what do you think? And, 
it, it came to where we thought, well, maybe this is. And so we threw our hat in the ring. Now, I want you to hear me. This was a pretty risky thing. I mean, because we were, you know, we were going to move to California where it was very expensive. It was me, my wife, a two-year-old, a three-month-old. Uh, the organization was not doing very well. There was a great chance that it wasn't going to survive. There were a lot of changing times. And, and so, but, but, but we felt like, you know what? We, we can't see very far into the future. It didn't feel like I had a flashlight. It felt like more like a lighter that we had, right? And so, and so but we did it. And then after a year, you know, as many of you know, the, the thing folded. Well, that's not what's supposed to happen when you follow the Spirit. It's supposed to be amazing. I was ready for the, the finished product. I want you guys to see the finished product of PGF. No, there was. The finished product was like this organization that was like gasping for breath. And so then all of a sudden we said, well, we had to hurry up. We got to do something. I got these kids, you know, and, and there was another one on the way, right? As we talked about, she was, Meg was six weeks away from giving birth to the third. What were we thinking, right? And, and, and so then it was more like, dear God, you know, this wasn't a lot of creating time and space. This was like, God, get me a job now, please, right? I didn't watch the video because I was still kind of bitter, actually. And every time I heard that song, I got a little bit angry honestly. You know, my friends, they were like, yeah, you better find a job. You need something. And, and it wasn't like I actually took a step as much as someone shoved me, right? And so we went, and that's, as you guys know, we were in Grove City for 15 months, and then, and then this particular call came open, right? And four years, almost four years ago now, uh, we, we, you know, we, we came here. And, 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 and I look back, and I say all of that to say that, you know, I look back now, and, and here, now, I can say, oh, that makes sense. But it doesn't always make sense. And that risk, it doesn't always pay off. Sometimes you're stuck and you're wondering, was I hearing from the Spirit? But it seems to me that more often than not, even if it changes and it isn't exactly what you had thought, this is what we talk about. Once you there, when you look back, I think there are stadium lights. There are stadium lights that are behind you. And then as you look back, then you see, uh, <laughs> sneaky God, right? Because you don't see it right there in the midst of it. Right? And I love the sermon that Peter says here. Peter, as he goes on in this towards these people, what he says is that Jesus is Lord of all. And in this context specifically, I think what he's saying is, you know, more, more expressly, he's saying Lord is, is Lord of Jews and the Gentiles, right? For all those who long to follow him. But I also think it means that, that the, he is the Lord of all time. Which means that, 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 that Jesus has a thought. Jesus is, is watching us, and Jesus knows where we are going, and Jesus desires to watch us to get there. And even though there may be times when we don't have great clarity, that he invites us to continue to take the steps, to continue to move forward. Now, I don't know exactly where you are right now. Everyone's in a different place. For some of us, maybe a few of you, you're, you're very stable and there are no questions and you know exactly where you're headed and what the Lord is calling you to do. But I think for the most of us, probably, we, we have some questions, right? For some, it may be a job, right? What am I supposed to be doing? Should I stay here? Should I leave? Should I retire? What should I do? For others, maybe it's a relationship. For others, maybe it's how do I best love my neighbor? I hope that's one of the questions that you're asking. It can be a lot of different things. As a church, 
I mean, we as leaders are always asking questions. At least we should be, at least internally asking, what does this look like? Our society has changed dramatically around us, right? People don't just wake up, right? You guys are the aberration by and large. People don't wake up on Sunday mornings like they used to three or four decades ago, right? And just say, okay, well, we got to go to worship today. No, they don't do that. So, so how do we stay true to the gospel and yet always be willing to adapt our programming, our property, all these things, right? And my hope is that for you as a person, for us as a church, that this passage will be a lens through which we understand how the Spirit is calling us to go. That we will say a prayer, but not, not to spend time in prayer where we just kind of say a flippant prayer, but that we'll create space and time to be with God. That we will continue to create time and space for one another. And that then we will have the courage, the courage... That even though we may not know exactly where it is that we are going, that we believe that Jesus is the Lord of all. Which means that it continues, it seems to me, as we begin to take steps. It may not end exactly as we had planned, but I feel convinced that just like what Peter discovered on that day, and as the early disciples would discover that at some point when you reach some place, you look back and you see how the Spirit has taken you to a place you could never have imagined if you had relied only on what you wanted to do or on your own faith and your own security. So my hope and prayers, brothers and sisters, is that this week you will take this 10th chapter. It's 40-some verses that you'll read it. And if you're in that place where you are questioning something or you're wondering something or you're discerning something, that you will allow it to speak into your life. Allow others to speak into your life. And then have the courage to not know what step 10 is or maybe even what step 2 is but to know where exactly it is that Christ calls you in this next step. And in so doing, might we be continually surprised at who it is that Jesus has called us to go to and where it is that he has called us to be. May it be so. Amen.